Dear Old State is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. And Penn State's last home game of the year is coming up against Rutgers on Saturday. It's always a game with a questionable attendance sometimes because of the holiday and because students are on break and coming back from break. And uh, with the opponent, and uh, as Rutgers, there are plenty of tickets available. Game time is a great place to go to get the best deals on those tickets. So the Game Time app is simple, quick, easy to navigate. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off as Penn State prepares for its senior day and last home game against Rutgers. Check out the tickets on Game Time. <laughs> Welcome back to Dear Old State, the Athletics Penn State podcast. Penn State with its second loss of the season last Saturday against Ohio State, but a little bit closer than the experts predicted, including us, I believe. I am Matt Brown, college football editor for The Athletic, joined by Nittany Lions writer Audrey Snyder, back from Columbus and ready for Rutgers week, aren't you, Audrey? I am, Matt. I am uh, ready for the regular season finale. Everybody has their rivalry games. All these marquee showdowns, and, well, Penn State gets Rutgers, but we uh, we won't spend the whole show talking about the Scarlet Knights. We will get into them at the end, um, but this is our Ohio State look back, Matt, and boy, do we have a lot to talk to you today. I mean, I just, it was weird. It got even more weird. It featured a backup quarterback. Lamont waited the game of his life. They lost by 11 points, but to me, personally, it never felt like 11. Um, I don't know, Matt. Where do we begin? It did briefly for that five-minute period. But it was they four. Did, they did legitimately have a chance to, to crawl back. I mean, if, if Journey Brown you know, doesn't drop that mm-hmm. pass, you know, they might get a touchdown and tie the game instead of a field goal, and they're in it. The defense was, the defense was making plays there in that, in that third quarter and even in the fourth quarter, but... Yes, from start to finish, we knew that Ohio State was the more talented team. I, I don't think there was a doubt about that. And credit to Penn State for keeping it close, but it could easily have been worse if, you know, a few bounce, you know, credit to Penn State for forcing fumbles, but it could easily have been worse with if a, bou- a couple bounces didn't go Penn State. Just spot them 21 points. I mean, that was, yeah. it was a recipe for disaster from Penn State when you look, at, you look at it. And Matt, to me, that opening drive for the Buckeyes. You know, Penn State, the strength is the run defense. Ohio State says, you know what? Forget that. We're going to come out and we're going to run right at you. Only attempted one pass on that drive. Ran the ball down their throat, 91 yards. Penn State's tackling, Matt. I mean, again, it hasn't been great the last few weeks, but when you get this level of athlete and it came up, was it with our conversation with Bill Landis last week? Or maybe it was in my roundtable with Ari. One of our two Ohio State writers at The Athletic had mentioned, you know what, maybe this is the game where they run Justin Fields a little more because Ryan Day had wanted to get him as healthy as possible, of course, to this point in the season. And that's exactly what they did. I mean, this wasn't something that they had been doing a heck of a lot of all year. But Fields just takes off, burns them on two third downs with his legs, and to me, Matt, that set the tone and said, okay, yes. boy, this defense, 
Give up 14 points in the first quarter against Minnesota. Gave up 14 in the first quarter against Indiana. Gave up 7 and nearly 14 had they not uh, had the one takeaway that took the touchdown off the board in the horseshoe. Um, Yeah, just just weird for the defense to start like that. But, Matt, when you have a team like Ohio State has with that many big-time playmakers— it's like you're playing pick your poison, and I felt Penn State was going to have to try to steal some possessions throughout this game, um, but then we saw them, they punted for it, and we can get into all these other things too, but to me, the message all week from James Franklin was that this was going to be a heavyweight fight, right? They were going to be aggressive, had to go blow for blow with them. Well, I didn't necessarily get that sense on 4th and 7 at the Ohio State 36 when they opted to punt. And had they picked up some yards on 3rd down there instead of an incompletion, then maybe that's that's an opportunity they would have gone for. But instead they said, you know what, we're going to try to pin them deep, rely on our defense. It's 7 nothing at that point. Um, and it just, the defense was outmatched for the majority of this game. Uh, Chase Young got his and then some. And I don't know, Matt, it, if fans want to find a silver lining in it, of course, it's that they made it close with Will Levis. Um, I, also, I have a silver lining. Yeah, I, I, give I, us I, all the silver linings, Matt. It's Thanksgiving week. Let's bring some positivity to the show. In the end, I don't think the defense played a bad game. Uh, yes. Look at the numbers. Like, you know, the raw totals look bad. You know, Ohio State ran for 229 yards, and that's, you know, the most Penn State's given up this year. That first drive was... 91. You know, really kind of backbreaking yeah. to come out and do that run for 91 yards, which is more than all but... Uh, three or four teams ran for against Penn State all year. But Ohio State ran for 229 yards. It took 61 attempts to get there. Ohio State averaged 3.4 yards per carry, or 3.8 yards per carry, which is bad by Penn State's defense standards this year. It's the most anybody's average, but it's still not like, you know, this is one of the best rushing offenses in the country. It's not like they just ripped off explosive play after explosive play then over the course of the game. Um, and I'll, and you, know, you look at the performance of Ohio State all year and, you know, they only averaged uh, five yards per play, which was the by easily the lowest Ohio State has averaged this year by almost a full yard. They averaged 5.99 yards per play against Wisconsin, which they won 38-7. Against Penn State, it was 5.02. So they had 417 yards, but they ran 83 plays. And you know, part of that is Penn State couldn't get off the field on third down, couldn't stop fields. So I don't think it was some you know fantastic game from the Penn State defense, obviously. But they did step up, and you know we can, we can get into it. Then Lamont Wade played, a, you know, made some big time plays. Michael Parsons, big time plays. Utah Gross Matos probably played his best game yeah. of the year. So silver lining there is, you know, overall the defense then ended up keeping them in the game and giving them a chance. And you know, obviously, I think more of the problems ended up being on offense. I agree with you, Matt. Uh, collectively, once once you spot them twenty one, and then you kind yes. of Penn State has that that crazy third quarter. Uh, which again, credit to them for making plays, for trying to make this a game. But you know, I something you said about the eighty three plays. Uh, Ohio State turned thirteen of their eighty three plays, so fifteen point six six percent for our math majors out there, into explosive gains. Yep. So Penn State's goal as a defense is ten percent or less. They failed to hit it. But, Matt, the, the biggest issue with this this loss, again, it's the offense. And James Franklin said afterward, we weren't explosive enough. And, boy, was he spot on with that. I mean, it, they just couldn't do it. And I know people are probably going to be quick to say, oh, well, you know, they played with Will Levis and they're... Sean Clifford did not look great at all 
in, in the first half, which he was in there. Um, they went with Levis because Juan Clifford got hurt. He was banged up, but he was riding the bike on the sideline. You could tell he wanted to try and come back in. James Franklin had said a couple times last week that, you know, Clifford has been playing banged up. And we get to this point in the season here in late November, and those injuries started to take a toll, or injury, whatever it is. So Levis goes in, provides him a spark. I equated his running to that of a battering ram. Uh, I mean, he is that big-bodied guy, gunslinger, and both of those things uh, proved true. But Penn State ran 65 plays, Matt. Only four of them were explosive gains. So 6.15% of their plays. And keep in mind, this is a statistic that Penn State loves to harp on. They think it's critical. They love, you know, they have to get to 16% or more. That's their thinking, because if you get to that 16% or more, you're going to be one of the most explosive offenses in the country. Well, they came in at 6%. So, again, this offense, Matt, I, I thought it was it was a bit of a mess. I get it. It's a really, really talented, one of the best, the best defenses in the country, but that's, to me, where the talent disparity showed up in star yes. power, as I wrote after the game. Um, that's where you got to find a way to close this gap. You're a five-star running back who started the season as your starter, and Ricky Slade wasn't even in Columbus. He was at home in State College, suspended for a violation of team rules, James Franklin said. You get Justin Shorter out there. Again, Danchus in a starts. Justin Shorter's your five-star receiver. Um, the 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 big shot plays to him. I mean, they haven't been able to get him going all year. They couldn't get him going last year. Uh, so now you, you kind of start to wonder, where does this offense go? Uh, Fryermuth had some catches. K.J. Hamler returned and played, but was not the kind of X factor that, that we were expecting. But that, to me, Matt, is is the difference. When you look at star power and you look at that Ohio State offense, I mean, you've got – I get it. Justin Fields is special. We're not going to beat home – hammer home the point that Penn State had him for a second and didn't. Uh, we did that last week. But you look at a J.K. Dobbins. You look at their receiving core. Um, they've got guys who are making plays, and it's just, to me, it just looked like a different level than, than Penn State's offense when you look at it. Your sweatpants are on for the day, but you're sick of microwave leftovers and frozen pizza? Enter DoorDash, restaurant-quality food with a living room dress code. DoorDash connects you to your favorite restaurants in your city, city. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. With door-to-door delivery in all 50 states and Canada, order from your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, and the Cheesecake Factory. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code STATE. It's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code STATE. Don't forget, that's promo code STATE for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. Yeah, and, you know, as far as the explosive plays, you look at the advanced numbers. Uh, our partner at Sports Info Solutions breaking down, you know, how the explosive plays didn't happen. Uh, Penn State attempted five passes of 10 yards or more downfield, mm-hmm. 10, 10 or more air yards. No time Tom Clifford was one, one of two. Will Levis was one of three. Clifford had that one where he forced it downfield when the safety was on, on it all the way and end up being double coverage. And yeah, you're right. No time to throw, which is a problem, which, you know, dictates that. So, you know, they the offensive line has had a pretty good year. They've they're obviously improved, but they still weren't equipped. I mean, nobody's equipped to block Chase right. Young. Chase Young is probably the best player in the college football in college football period. He is that good. He's ridiculous and they didn't have a chance against him. 
but you know, no time to throw and receivers underperforming. Shorter did catch three passes at least, uh, but still, you know, they were just out of whack in the first half, and then the second half it just became Will Levis being a fullback basically was the kind of the game plan. And you know, you don't want to put too much on Levis's plate, and he did make that. You know, when they still had a chance, he made that critical mistake with that interception that just had absolutely no chance. It was clearly you know the wrong decision. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I I do wonder about some of it. Like, Journey Brown had, like, three carries in the first half. Yeah. Um, and he ended up having – he had pretty, he had 11 carries, 64 yards, averaged 5.8 yards per per run. I want to say they had, it like, just, 11 yards at the half, right, if I recall correctly. And it was, like, all – you know, Clifford ended yeah. up with six carries, zero yards. That includes sacks. Levis had 18 carries for 34 yards, only played in the second half. And again, I understand why they leaned on Levis as running in the second half. It's just, you know, the offense had to be different, whatever. But the point I wanted to make, it's just, I feel like they've leaned on the quarterback run too much this year. And James Franklin has said that Sean Clifford's banged up. This is before he went out of the game with kind of another injury on, on Saturday when he took that tough hit. And, and that's just, that's why we saw Will Levis against Indiana, right? Because that's when yes. Franklin had first mentioned it, that Clifford's been getting banged up this year. They wanted to take some wear and tear of some of these hits off of him. So they have four running backs. Well, I mean, three this weekend. But you know, all year they've talked about four running backs they feel good about. And obviously when you have four running backs who are rotating, whatever, you know, the carries are going to be limited. But I still don't think Sean Clifford should be leading this team in carries. Uh, he has 103 this year. I, that includes sacks, so you know. I guess he doesn't technically lead lead in rushes, pure rushes, <laughs> but still, what, what? Still right up there in that ballpark. And I know that it's a part of this offense. It's what they do. It's based on what the defense, the looks of the defense as well with the RPOs. But I don't know. I, I feel like they should should have done a little bit better of a job of protecting Clifford this year and getting the ball in the hands of the running backs. And we saw McSorley kind of wear down last year when he took some hits, was banged up, and now the same things kind of happened with Clifford. So he's a guy who, you know, was is developing as a runner and he's worn down a little bit. And I, I, I don't know. I, maybe it's unfair, but and it's easy to say when he's banged up now after the fact. But it does feel like they put a little bit too much on his plate as a runner this year. I agree with you, Matt. I mean, I think like you said, the whole message all year had been, we have four running backs, we love our four running backs, we feel good about them, we're going to rotate them by series, which thankfully that rotation has slowed down tremendously. Uh, we saw it you know, against Ohio State. It was only Journey Brown and Noah Kane who played. Uh, first game this year, Devin Ford, he dressed, made the trip, uh, but he did not play. So they've settled that rotation down, and Journey Brown has had you know, probably – as nice or even nicer of a season than we would have expected. Because if you think back, which in some regards feels like forever ago to August, uh, when Ricky Slade was the starter, it was okay. Journey's this, you know, number two guy who they're really high on, but yeah, we'll see. Um, But, but he's performed. And so you've got these running backs who now you got to be thinking, Matt, they're pretty fresh. I mean, Noah Kane's coming back off this injury. He played, uh, he got two series against Ohio state, but, I don't know, maybe against Rutgers, which we can get into this later in the show, but maybe they just run wild all over Rutgers. Maybe it's time to just give Will Probably. Levis in there. I mean, <laughs> let Clifford get healthy. I don't know. I'm curious to see what they do uh, with that game. But I agree. I mean, you get to this point of the year and you have guys who start breaking down and, you know, Penn State looks at all the advanced metrics and recovery and really has put a big emphasis on these guys taking care of their bodies and monitoring hydration and sleep and all these sports science things that are so important. 
But at some point, when your quarterback's taking that many hits, it has an impact. And, you know, I was absolutely fine with them keeping Will Levis in the game because I thought, you know what, you hadn't seen much of Sean Clifford uh, during that game. There really wasn't anything that led me to believe, wow, this offense is close to lighting something up. And Levis gave you a spark. And you know what, Matt? There's no substitution for game reps. I've talked to so many people about it in the past, just saying like, okay, we always hear this all the time. Why is it so true? You know, And it's the best learning experience to then have that tape for a young quarterback like Levis to learn from. And Talking with Will Levis after the game, uh, he was made available and Sean Clifford was not. So um, a lot of a lot of Levis talk, which makes sense after you know the way he came in there and rallied them. But he said he came in and his point to the offense was like, okay, we're going to go down and score, and we're going to score again, and then we're going to score again. And I'm like, huh, pretty confident, you know. Um, which again has the intangibles that you want in a quarterback. Still a young guy, redshirt freshman, as we saw with the the mistake that he made on the the RPO that he just said, you know, he was trying to get the ball to Firemuth. Firemuth was trying to fake a block um, and just should never have made that throw. But the other thing, and the thing that Franklin hit on afterward, was that the players couldn't hear Levis's cadence, and they couldn't hear him because it was so loud. He's on the road. I'm glad we got that explanation because it was baffling. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I was down on the field for about the last five minutes on the sideline, and it's just like you're watching, like, flag after flag, and there's no rhythm to this offense whatsoever. And at one point, like, the ball's snapped, and you're thinking, like, oh, my God, was he even ready for it? Like, what just happened? Yeah. And Franklin said it was to the point where the offensive line was just guessing his cadence because it was so loud and they couldn't hear him. And Levis said, you know, that's my fault. Like, I take full responsibility. I need to be louder. I need to, you know, make sure my voice pierces through all that noise. So that's, you know, a big teachable moment for him Uh, I mean this whole game for him is is a big learning experience but that's where I say Matt you know I they're not going to come out and say this this week because all you know respect to the opponent even if it is Rutgers James Franklin will never admit it but you've got a really valuable opportunity here in front of you to keep building off of this with Will Levis because Sean Clifford is hurt. I am not sitting here saying there's a quarterback controversy because there absolutely 110% is not. Um, If you think Penn State got to this point and that Sean Clifford is the problem, then you're just flat out wrong. But um, because he's banged up and, you know, you're going to get that month to rest after this ahead of the bowl game, you know, maybe you do put Levis in there and, Kind of see how things go. Uh, curious to see how they play that this week. Yeah, it's a fair point. I mean, we don't, again, they don't, Franklin has volunteered that Clifford is banged up, but we don't, you know, hear exactly what specifically, it is, how right. banged up he is. We know he got an added injury this week, but Franklin said, you know, he could have played. He just wasn't 100%, and it made sense not to throw him to the Wolves, you know, if he's not 100% against, you know, Chase Young and that defensive front, and things already weren't going well anyway. So, I don't know. If, if he's... Like if if he's ready to go, I don't wouldn't fault Penn State for for starting him at all. He's the starting quarterback, and you know if he's ready to go, then play him. But I think you're right. It, 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 if he's not 100, percent then why risk him in this type of game? Because you know I, you can beat Rutgers with Will Levis. You, you better be able to beat Rutgers with Will <laughs> Levis. Um, Penn State opened as a 41 point favorite on Sunday. That about says it all. Rutgers has two wins. They have not won in the Big Ten. They've been basically destroyed repeatedly in the Big Ten. So it'll be interesting to see if that happens. I mean, either way, you'd expect Sean Clifford 
again, if things go well, not expect Sean Clifford to play a full game because they should win yeah. easily. Um, you know, is this is the the test of the one and zero mantra, of course, because yeah. they're coming back from another tough loss. The atmosphere on Saturday is not going to be great, and that's not you know criticism of the fans or anything like that. It's just reality, the reality of the post Thanksgiving game against an underwhelming opponent after a loss. Uh, and again, I, I can rant about the schedule makers and how they, you know, the Big Ten is making Rutgers Penn State's last game, which I think is just dumb. <laughs> but I don't know. I'm curious to see how that plays out. Penn State obviously been a little bit banged up, but you'd think you'd think this would be a nice opportunity to kind of get well and finish off what, again, all things considered, is a better than expected season. They can win ten games. We'll see what the bowl situation plays out, but ten and two again before the year would sound really, really good. And I don't know. The, it's it's always deflating to lose a game like that to Ohio State when technically Penn State could win the Big Ten and go to the playoff. But they did play Ohio State closer than anybody else has this year, so there is that. And all things considered, too, you mentioned how in your upon further review how this team just does seem to be very close knit. Uh, it doesn't seem to be any internal strife. Yeah. And they play hard. You know, they they could have they could have folded in that game Saturday. Nothing was going right. They could have folded. They did not. They battled back, made some big plays on defense, and you have to at least admire the effort there. You do, Matt, and I think that's where you look at it and you say the culture is fine with this team, right? Like that's not the problem. Um I've never and I started noticing this the last few weeks, but in my years of covering Penn State, I've never been around a team uh, and again, part of this is because they're guys and they're college-age guys, so they don't say this a lot. Um, but they'll, like, after interviews, they'll openly say to each other, like, thanks, I love you. Like, I love you too. And I'm like, wow, this is, like, you don't hear most males say this, um, especially after, like, football games. I don't know, it's just kind of weird. But that is what this team has been built upon. And that was something that Pat Fryermuth said you know, these guys, it's the closest team he's ever been a part of, and so many guys have said that this year, and that there's really no division between the upperclassmen and the underclassmen, and, <clears throat> excuse me, that after a game like this, I mean, Lamont Wade stood up in the locker room, and, you know, he said to his players, like, and I'm pulling up the quote now, he said, I feel like my heart was ripped out of my chest. One of the things I told the guys was that the only thing holding back my tears right now is how hard we fought and we didn't give up. It hurt, but me being proud of those guys in that locker room helps. I mean, for him just to stand up and say that speaks to the leadership, speaks to the camaraderie. And Fryermuth said this started back, you know, in the winter and winter workouts when everybody was, or a lot of people were transferring. And that really brought this group together. So this is a close group, which I think, Matt, is so important as you want to try to build off of. Like, they genuinely like each other, which I think sometimes maybe gets overlooked, um, you know, when you look at the dynamics of teams. But that's what makes college football so special in that these guys are spending so much time together. They're, a lot of them are living together, eating together, practicing together, like going to class together. I mean, it is it is a year-round uh, commitment. And that, like, that level of respect that they have for each other, I think, it pays off in weeks like this where there isn't, I can't imagine that there's going to be finger pointing or bickering and that kind of thing. Uh, so that was, that was interesting. And I mean, even being on the field, Matt, the last few minutes of that game, um, I happened to catch Pat Fryermuth as I was walking behind the bench and I got stuck behind one of those big camera, like things, like one of those lifts. So I was pretty much stuck behind Penn state's <laughs> bench. Uh, and 
he had a towel over his head, was sitting there. I mean, he was visibly distraught. And, you know, there were a couple expletives being shouted as he sat there and was kind of bouncing his leg and was really, really worked up and upset. And, you know, there wasn't, and that's where I think people want to say, oh, it's a silver lining that they came close. And I get that. But that's not what these guys were feeling. I mean, that was not it yeah. at all. I mean, it was, it, I watched Fryermuth as he stood up from the bench and Des Holmes went over to him and like gave him a hug and had to kind of help him up off the bench because he was that upset. I mean, I was asking him after the game if he could kind of describe his emotions during those final seconds. And he started getting choked up and I thought he was going to cry right there in the media room. I mean, that this game meant everything to these guys who put every bit of, you know, heart and soul and year round work into it. And that's why it's, it's so difficult for people to bounce back and to try and move on. Because again, like there's, there's this human element to it that I think uh, sometimes we forget, but um, again, Pat was gracious enough to come out and talk to us and he's done that all season. Uh, but you have to wonder too, Matt. I mean, Saturday is senior day. Cam Brown was talking about the emotions of it coming up too for him. And, you know, that, that adds something extra to it. And maybe, who knows, is this the last game for Fryer Muth and Beaver Stadium? He is NFL draft eligible. Should he choose to do so after this season? I don't know. Um, but that's an option too. So maybe, maybe that kind of weighs on his mind. But I guess, Matt, my question for you, I, I come with questions today. Um, how does... Penn State, and this is something that Ari Wasserman, our Ohio State writer at The Athletic, Ari and I talked about last week, something that I wrote about on Saturday after the game. How does Penn State try and continue to close this gap with the Buckeyes? Because you look at it, and everybody, and to me, it's like you look at it, you got to beat them to to get wherever you want to go because they're in your division. How do they close that gap when Ohio State just looks like this force that is going to be here to stay among the elites for a long time. I don't know about you, but I'm so ready for Thursday. Turkey, stuffing, gravy, pumpkin pie, and my favorite three huge heaping helpings of football. That's my kind of feast. And to top it all off, all the action you can get betting on games thanks to DraftKings Sportsbook. You can take advantage of special Thanksgiving offers all day on Thursday. Take a listen to just some of the offers DraftKings has going on. Before kickoff, place a bet on the winner of any Thanksgiving football games, and DraftKings will give you a free $5 bet. Plus, during the game, place a $5 in-game flash bet, and DraftKings will give you another free $5 bet. Just check out the Promos tag tab after sign-up to get all the details and see what else DraftKings has to offer. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use code TOSS when you sign up. For a limited time, all users can get a deposit bonus up to $500. Don't forget, that's code TOSS for all new and existing users to get a deposit bonus up to $500. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Pennsylvania only. Restrictions apply. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Oh, it's been the question since Penn State joined the Big Ten. I mean, yeah. kind of. I mean, it's Ohio State's been the most, probably the most consistently great program since the 50s like there's just you know they've had some few down years but very few and it's just a, you know a recruiting machine and it, it's tough but you know Penn State's also played Ohio State as well as anybody in the past few years you know they, they have they've only beat them once mm-hmm. but you know they had them they had them beat the last two years didn't do it this this year I mean 
the gap was probably more than 11 points, but then again, it was very close to being closer than that too. I mean, it could have gone either way in terms of, you know, I don't think Penn State was going to win that game, but in terms of how close it was. So you have that to build off. You have the fact that Penn State has upped its recruiting under James Franklin and, you know, it's still, you know, recruiting a, a pretty significant number of, of top tier guys, you know, in terms of, you know, four and five stars. It's just Ohio State is like Ohio State and Georgia and, and Alabama yeah. are just, amassing five stars at this mm-hmm. ridiculous rate so that's the hard part to close and it's i don't know if they can close that but again they've played them close they have you know we, you talked about friar Muth. we'll see what kind of nfl decisions are made uh you know i think everybody expects garce matos given his draft status to and a game like he played yeah. on saturday to go pro but other than that you know there's a few decisions Hamler, made but potentially a lot back next year and penn state will get ohio state at home and, you know, Chase Young won't be there anymore. Jeff Okuda won't be there anymore. <laughs> J.K. Dobbins won't be there anymore. Justin Fields will. But, yes, there's a talent gap, and it's going to be hard to to close that year after year. Ohio State's just on a – Penn State's very, very good. It's probably a top-10 program right now, but Ohio State's like a top-3 program. Mm-hmm. Um, but in any given year, it's possible to make a run and – you know, I think the hope is maybe next year's team, if these guys come back, you're still going to have a lot of talent. Maybe you beat Ohio State next year, and that you know helps build some more momentum as well. Maybe you make a run to the Big Ten title. Because if you, you know, if, hey, if they win a Big Ten title next year, that's two in five years. That's pretty good, and, and that'll get some attention. So it's like incrementally closing the gap as much as you can and trying to take advantage of, you know, timing. If the timing is right for the roster to make a run next year, then that's what you hope for. And I think, Matt, that's, you know, you look at it and you keep saying, like, I mean, that you're, you're right. I mean, it's it's been the million-dollar question of how do you close that. And uh, one of the things I tweeted out, I wrote about uh, Julian Fleming was on the Ohio State sideline ahead that's of the game. That's tough to take for Penn State. That's yeah, no, no I mean, that, that's a tough blow. And he's wearing a sweatshirt that says Ohio against the world uh, as a Pennsylvania kid. You know, th- those are the battles that, and I wrote about it in the summer when, when, you know, Fleming picked Ohio State. And I don't, fans, I don't mean to beat a dead horse here, but it is an important point. I mean, these are, you're chasing Ohio State year-round. It's not just something that you see in October and November. Uh, this is a year-round thing. And I pulled it up, Matt, because I know everybody's going to want to circle it. Penn State plays Ohio State next year, Saturday, October 24th in Beaver Stadium. Penn State has Iowa the week before at home and then follows up with Ohio State. Then they go out uh, and play the Hoosiers in Indiana after that. Um, but, I mean, that's – you always have your shot, I feel like, when you're playing the Buckeyes just because it's like, all right, you know they're always going to be really good. So you have a chance to pad that resume, but you have to get through them to do it. And that's where the fact that as we look at bowl stuff at this point of the year – the fact that they kept it within 11 matters, in my mind. Uh, I mean, we'll see what happens with Wisconsin and with Minnesota and, of course, the Big Ten title game. But we've already seen Wisconsin get blown out uh, by by the Buckeyes. I've, who knows what happens with Minnesota, but if they would also get blown out, then they probably would get the nod anyway to go to the Rose Bowl. But that's uh, we'll see, Matt. We'll see. A lot of moving parts there, a lot of uncertainty with the rankings and all of that. Uh, but – First, to, to get there, you know, Penn State does have to beat Rutgers. Don't laugh. It has to, to actually happen. have to get off happen. the bus. Yeah. <laughs> um, so here on Gerald State this week, because of the holiday, usually we do a Thursday podcast for athletic subscribers only that previews the next game. Because of the holiday, there will not be a 
Thursday podcast. However, there still will be a second podcast this week. On Tuesday, we have a all-decade podcast. You know, it's part of the athletic has a big uh, package of stories across all of our coverage, across all sports, all teams, with kind of highlighting the best of the 2010s. Uh, all of our college football content will run on Tuesday. Audrey has an all-decade wrap-up for Penn State with an all-decade team. Best games, best moments. It's been an interesting decade at Penn State, of course. To say the least, uh, yeah. But, we, you know, the story, you know, highlights, you know, all the, the positives the that have moments, happened on the yeah. field. And uh, we did a podcast as well that, that kind of goes through all of that and debates that, looks back at some of the most memorable moments. So the Dear Old State 2010s decade wrap will be up this week. Please listen to that on Tuesday. And uh, so without a Rutgers-specific podcast, but fortunately there's not a ton, ton to talk about. We don't feel like we're, we're missing a lot. So we'll do our quick mini Rutgers preview here. We've already talked about it a little bit. So we've talked about the quarterbacks. I guess that's probably the main storyline to watch for on Saturday. Yeah, I, I think so. And I mean, we'll hear from James Franklin on Tuesday, and I fully expect he's not going to say anything in terms of who's the quarterback, who's not. But if Clifford is banged up substantially or significantly, I don't think you need to play him. I, I think that's where you say, okay, well, Levis, we're giving you the keys to the car. Let's see what you can do. Um, and, and Matt, too, I wonder with KJ Hamler, we didn't get a chance to talk with Hamler after the game. Um, But he did play. I'm not sure. I mean, it seemed like it came down to very late in the week to when he was cleared. Is he 100%? Because, again, we don't know if it was a head or neck or what it was because they won't get into specifics. So, I mean, they're not just going to throw a guy out there with a head injury if he's not cleared. But was he 100% on Saturday? I don't know. Uh, Is it something where maybe even KJ, you have to wonder if he's not healthy. Do Do you sit him? Who knows? Um, but but to me, that's I'm looking at the true freshman this week, and you know how many guys like a Joey Porter Jr. who you can play in one more game. Do you play him in this game, or do you try and wait? You know, you have the next month leading up to whatever bowl game, and then try to use him for that last game there uh, to preserve the red shirt. Same thing, Lance Dixon, Caden Wallace. Uh, you know. I guess, Matt, how do you balance that? And that's always the question for a week like this. And it's tough because the coaching staff's not going to come out and say, like, yeah, you know, we plan to play all the second and third teamers this week, you know, significantly. But this is a game where you can gauge Penn State's depth and you can look at and see how they're developing some of these younger guys because we've heard so much about Adisa Isaac this year. He's already burned his red shirt. We've heard so much about Marquise Wilson. He's burned his. You know, Noah Kane. like we know – a good bit about those guys, but what do we know about John Dunmore? What do we know about TJ Jones? Um, you know, some of these lesser known guys who we've seen in, uh, in one game, Smith, Vilbert, those kinds of people. So I think that's, that's where, uh, this game at least gets interesting because I fully expect the developmental scrimmage is going to break out. So well, here, here's why you expect that just to lay it out yeah. for our, our listeners. Here are the point totals for Rutgers in big 10 games this year. They scored zero points against Iowa. They scored zero points against Michigan, seven against Maryland. Maryland, who's been atrocious. Maryland won 48 to seven that game. They scored zero against Indiana. They scored seven against Minnesota, 10 against Illinois. And their best showing of Big Ten play, of course, 21 against Ohio State in a game where I think we can come to the conclusion that Ohio State barely tried. Uh, And then they followed that up by losing to Michigan State 27 to nothing. So that is uh, four shutouts, and twice they've scored seven points. Um, 
Yeah, Rutgers is last in the country in yards per play in conference games only. Uh, and they are last in the country in scoring in conference games only. They've scored 45 points in eight conference games. So I, if we give some predictions here, I think there's a good chance Penn State comes out a little sloppy. You know, maybe there's some groans when, you know, a couple punts. But <laughs> they're, they're not going to lose this game, and it's not going to be close. Rutgers is extremely bad <laughs> in the last game of an interim coach. And we also still don't know who their head coach will be next yeah, year. Yeah, how about Greg the Shiano watch? Yeah. Yeah, that, that deal fell apart. Um, so who knows? It's Rutgers. It's just a complete mess. And this is a team that's 0-8 in the Big Ten. Last year, they were 0-9 in the Big Ten. Uh, 2016, they were 0-9. Somehow, they actually won three games in the conference of 2017. Uh, but this is a team that is two wins all-time against Penn State. Penn State is 27-2 and against Rutgers all-time. Those Rutgers wins happened in 1988 when Penn State did uh, have a losing record and in their first ever meeting in 1918. So, so they've never beaten them since I've been alive. Born in 89. My first Rutgers game, Penn State game, as somebody who was born in February 88, was a loss. So there was a time in my life where Penn State was winless against Rutgers. (laughs) I don't remember that time. But anyway, I'm just going to say Penn State 42, Rutgers 7. Some some early uh, maybe hiccups, but they'll be fine. They're going to run for a bunch of yards, and Rutgers is not going to move the ball. Yeah, Matt. um, I am feeling a little more bold with my prediction. Uh, I'll probably regret this on Saturday, but... Penn State probably not <laughs> 50 Penn State 50 hitting that big number Penn State 50 Rutgers 10 um I mean I who knows again with the quarterback situation what that lends itself to how many how many guys Penn State rolls out there I mean I know in the past they've always said you know you only get so many opportunities to play in Beaver Stadium if a guy's healthy he's gonna play but um even if Clifford is healthy enough to start do we see him in the third quarter? I, you know, it's going to depend. I mean, it's to me, this is a very valuable game for the development of this roster. And then you look at it and you say, okay, you finish it up there. And then the staff, which this always, I find interesting after the last regular season game, because then it's like momentarily the focus for the coaching staff switches. It's back to recruiting because you've got to close, you know, the early signing period. So they've got like early signing period, I believe is the 18th. So, you know, you've got like two, two and a half weeks then where you're out just trying to do whatever you can. And of course you then have bowl selection the following week. And that's where James Franklin is always like driving around or in an airport. And then we'll do a conference call with us to discuss the bowl game. But Penn state lays out, they pride themselves on this. They lay out like all these different itineraries for potential bowl games. So they know like, okay, what day would we leave if we're playing in this game or that game? So there's so much behind the scenes planning that happens this time of year that once the clock strikes triple zeros against Rutgers, um, they start like winterizing Beaver Stadium, usually while I'm still working in the <laughs> press box. Uh, hopefully the pipes in the bathrooms don't freeze this year like they did last year. But, I mean, it's to me, it's always just a good reminder of how the year never stops. You know, it's like, okay, you shift from one focus to the next. Um, recruiting never ends. And they're winning some of these recruiting battles and how they close this class is so important. I know, Matt, we'll get more into recruiting, too, uh, with the early signing period. We have some special stories planned and that kind of thing. 
But yeah, this is uh, somehow we've arrived at the regular season finale, Matt. It feels like shocking. <laughs> yeah, I think the season goes faster and faster every year, honestly. Yeah, agreed. And well, as we said, Penn State is nine and two, can lock up second place in the Big Ten East. Which hey, the goal is always hey. to win win the Big Ten East, but still ten win season, nine man. And three. I was eight and eight four. four. Yeah, <laughs> so. I mean it's, and I do think. And the last point I want to make here is that I think, and James Franklin has said this before too. And there's a lot of truth to it when the the playoff was implemented, and you look at the four teams, and it's kind of like everybody's like, oh, playoff or bust. Penn State's still going to have a really great year if they go 10-2 and two and beat Rutgers, you know? I mean, it's just, it's different because everybody has their eyes set on that prize, and now it's like Penn State's focused on next year and, and how do they regroup to try and get over that hump, uh, you know, the following year. But again, should they beat Rutgers like Matt and I are both predicting and probably everyone else who's sane will predict, 10-2 um, and two is a tremendous year for a team with a, breaking in a new quarterback, a new running back, um, a defense that we thought was going to be good and for a lot of parts of this year had been really, really good. An offensive line that overall, Matt, they've gotten better. You know, I know people are going to recency bias and look to, you know, what happened this past week, but Chase Young does that to everyone. Um, So all in all, I think they're still trending in the right direction. But uh, got to take care of business against Rutgers, Matt. Can't overlook the Scarlet Knights, even though we definitely will. (laughs) Well, hey, we just gave them our five or ten minute preview. So there you go. We devoted sufficient time to Rutgers and Penn State. (laughs) Yeah, I think they'll make it a game for five minutes. So we talked about it for five minutes. There you go. Well, next week we will be back on Monday as well to, of course, recap the Penn State Rutgers game and see if it does go as expected. Uh, But as I said, all decade podcast this week is our second podcast on Gerald State. That will be up Tuesday. Please subscribe to The Athletic and uh, read all of the all-decade content and you know Audrey's content the rest of the week and from the Rutgers game. So that'll do it. Audrey, uh, happy Thanksgiving to you. Happy Thanksgiving you too, to all of our listeners. Yeah, and if there are any lingering Rutgers questions, my mailbag will be up on The Athletic. I will be addressing all of your questions, comments, and concerns in the mailbag this week. Uh, before getting out of town for Thanksgiving, I'll head home. And uh, I'll be back here Saturday, though. Don't worry, Matt. I'll be back in plenty of time for the <laughs> showdown in Beaver Stadium. It is rivalry week, so we can pretend it's a rivalry, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks to everybody for listening to Dear Old State, and uh, happy Thanksgiving. And uh, we'll be back next week and on Tuesday with the All Decade Podcast as well. Mm-hmm.